Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Contemplating Christian, and today we're going to be talking about an idea that's uh, that we can call a slip of the tongue. This is uh, based off of an essay by C.S. Lewis again. He's, he's amazing. Uh, and we'll eventually be done with our C.S. Lewis kick, but for, for right now, we're going to continue on with him. It's from his collection of essays uh, in the book Weight of Glory. So in this one, uh, we aren't exactly sure about the context, but he he was talking to a specific group of people uh, during this one. But basically what happened is he had a Freudian slip. And so that's, that's a big thing we're going to be talking about today uh, at first. So the Freudian slip that he had was while he was praying. And I'm actually going to read the Freudian slip that he had. So it says this, I had meant to pray that I might so pass through things temporal that I finally lost not the things eternal. I found I had prayed so to pass through things eternal that I finally lost not the things temporal. So we're going to get into the, the, the juice of that statement right there of temporal things and eternal things. But first, we're actually going to talk about Freudian slips and how Christians can deal with that. Um, cause a lot of them we could say are insignificant, but some of them perhaps can actually reveal something about ourselves. Um, so what, what would you say about that? Yeah. A, so for those who don't know, uh, a Freudian slip in short is sort of a, a slip of the tongue is the best phrase we have for it, but sort of a miss, a misstep in your language when you accidentally say something you don't mean to say. Uh, and oftentimes it's sort of a silly thing or sort of an out of context thing, or even some of an inappropriate thing classically in like a Freudian sense. And the idea is that when you, uh, in Freud's mind, Freud is a famous psychologist, uh, secular psychologist, and he has this idea that people's people have this innate desire, all these innate desires within them that are, they're kind of being suppressed in their subconscious. And sometimes when they, let out a Freudian slip or a slip of the tongue that is revealing sort of the subconscious person within the animalistic subconscious or whatever that's, that's in you. And a Freudian slip is kind of letting that out. Mm. And so it actually reveals true things about the person. Uh, they're not simply just random, you know, coincidences. They actually reveal something true about us. And so Lewis is kind of toying with this idea of a Freudian slip and saying, you know, I'm not a Freudian, but this idea is sort of interesting. And and in this in this case, his prayer, he's praying that God would uh, basically take him away from temporal things, let him dwell on eternal things like the Bible calls us to. But in reality, he actually flipped at that in his prayer. He actually prayed, let me actually dwell on the temporal things, which is what we're not called to do as Christians. We're called to be, you know, kind of forsaking the world. And so he's saying, maybe that's actually my sinful desires sort of letting out a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. And so Freud, even though he is secular and he, he might have had some good ideas, uh, Christians disagree with a lot of what he says. But he does have a view of human anthropology that is negative, mm -hmm. or pessimistic. And so anyone, yeah. anyone that actually views human beings like that that's a jumping off point right there for christians that's right. a uh that's a point of contact so if there is someone of a of another religion or someone 
that is an atheist and they actually believe humans are bad or uh, we we do terrible things or we have horrible desires or something like that, Christians can be like, amen. Yeah, that's exactly what I believe. That is original sin right there. Um, So yeah, yeah. Right, so we shouldn't, uh, oftentimes in Christians, uh, we'll just simply not engage or not read different aspects of culture or different people or different influential thinkers to their own detriment because what's actually quite enriching for your faith is to be able to see common grace in other thinkers. So you can see where the actual light of reason or conscience or whatever kind of peeks through a little bit with thinkers that aren't Christian. And you can see that they have some grasp of the truth that like human beings are inherently flawed and messed up. Freud Mm. has a pretty good sense of that more so than like, um, like Rousseau or someone like that, like a modern philosophical uh, or more modern philosophical thinker. Um, He believes that kind of man is inherently good and free, uh, which is much less in line with Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or just even the new age spirituality, like people can be good by themselves Mm -hmm. of their own efforts. Anyone who believes that um, the Christian can not agree. So they would, they would have that disagreement. So, but we we are definitely able to find uh, other worldviews that have things in common. Um, Right. And yeah. And I think this one might be a pretty easy one to find that people are actually bad. Right. And so he uses this example of a Freudian slip in his own mind to, to basically say, what, what do I really desire? And sort of to question himself, what am I really desiring in my Christian life? And he says, I thought that what I had inadvertently said very nearly expressed something I had really wished. So he knows that deep down, he actually does like his attachment to temporal things, earthly things, his mm-hmm. earthly comforts. He likes to be attached to those things. And as human beings, we we do like that. We don't want to just throw ourselves into the spiritual. And so he says, this is actually kind of expressing something true about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and how then he goes into kind of the presence of God. Uh, talk a bit about that, Samuel. Yeah. So for this, he actually makes an analogy for the whole thing. And it kind of runs throughout the whole the whole talk is God is a sea. Um, <clears throat> and so in this, God being the sea, that's the eternal things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty good because when we look at the sea there, we, we can't see across it. Um, and also we couldn't just like swim to the bottom. So to, to a human being, if we actually didn't know the scientific facts about how big it is, someone might actually think it's eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shore and the land that represents the eternal things, uh, not eternal. Sorry, hey, Freudian slip right there. Um, <laughs> uh, but that represents the temporal things. So he uses this analogy and he says that we actually uh, want to stay on land, but we need to go into the sea. And then even if we do go into the sea, we want to do anything to keep ourselves connected somehow to to the land and so the the first point we're going to talk about is that this is a very serious thing um Mm -hmm. as in messing with the eternal things or thinking about or contemplating them is uh is dangerous if you want to stay on land because if if you do um 
actually C.S. Lewis puts it as dipping in your toes. If you dip your toes into the sea, you might find that you are actually convicted about something or that you have to change something or that you're, you're wrong about the temporal things and that you need to kind of leave those behind. And, you know, if you love your temporal things, that's not something you want. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. He talks, he talks about how in, in his Christian experience, when he uh, wanders into the presence of God, whether that be in, uh, in church, when he's praying, when he's reading a devotional book, when he's preparing to partake of the sacrament, he's talking about how he wanders into the presence of God uh, with a little hesitation, lest there be something that he encounters that's what he calls intolerably inconvenient. And so that, that that would actually disrupt his ordinary life. So he doesn't want too much spirituality. He's being very, very honest here. And I think Christians can mm-hmm. resonate with this of Lewis being extremely honest about what, it, what the Christian experience is often like, where you don't want so much about, you don't want so much God. Mm-hmm. You just want a little bit maybe on the side, but to fully embrace all the things that Jesus called us, calls us to would simply be too inconvenient. And so we just kind of, we have a bit of a hesitation. We just are kind of dipping our toes in the water, but we don't want to just jump in to what God's yeah. actually beck, like kind of beckoning us to. Yeah. We want the, we want to do the absolute minimum. We, yeah, we, we don't want as much as of God as we, we think we do. And that's our sin speaking, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, here's a here's a tendency for Christians when when Christians actually do swim or fully enter into the presence of God, they make sure they do have a a lifeline and that could look like that could look like anything. So let's say you do have a sinful habit or a sinful tendency and you battle that and you are kind of making a lot of success with that. And then you. And then you kind of get it out of your life, but instead of fully getting it out of your life, you leave a way for it to come back just in case, just in case, you know, uh, that could be, that could be with, uh, with anything. So let's, let's even say like finances, let's say you have trouble with finances. Um, and you finally like, let's say get out of credit card debt and give zero credit card debt and you don't want that anymore. Now you could just get rid of all credit cards and just start saving money or you mm-hmm. could keep a credit card just in case, just in case. And then one day you might just max it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what it might look like keeping that, that line connected. Right. Right. So he says, I don't want to be carried away into any resolution, which I shall afterwards regret. For I know I shall be feeling quite different after breakfast. I don't want anything to happen to me at the altar, which will run up too big a bill to pay then. It would be very disagreeable, for instance, to take the duty of charity while I'm at the altar so seriously that after breakfast, I had to tear up the really stunning reply I had written to an impudent correspondent yesterday and meant to post today. So he's saying, I have this this great um, witty kind of self-serving remark or something that I was going to write to this critique or whatever, a critic. Uh, and I'm really excited to send that out to you know give myself some uh some points or whatever in his own mind and he's saying that if i really took my you know the love love your neighbor seriously enough i wouldn't do that and so i don't want to take things too seriously so that i'd have to actually give up those things yeah which is a good one <laughs> he's he's funny he's funny but mm-hmm. we can uh we can talk more about this uh 
just lifeline and, and also just yeah. Satan and how he uses that to to attack us. So I think actually the best way to understand these taxes through another one of C.S. Lewis's books, Screw Tape Letters. So Screw Tape Letters is correspondence between two demons, uh, an uncle and a nephew. And it's basically advice on how to get your human subject uh, to turn away from God pretty much at, mm-hmm. at all costs. And so when it comes to swimming in the sea and having this lifeline, remember that um, Satan is going to do anything and everything to keep some sort of connection there. And he's going to, he's going to be tricky. Right. Um, so for example, maybe he'll have you focus on God, but do it in the wrong way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't matter that you're focusing on God because it's in the wrong way. So he's he's accomplished his mission right there. See, it could get could get tricky and sneaky mm-hmm. like that. So do you have uh do you have anything to say on kind of that idea of screw tape and Satan's uh lies and yeah. ruses, I guess? Yeah. Oftentimes uh the kind of the enemy and in, in Christian thought we believe that there's uh demons and there's a devil that wants to send us to hell, that wants to take us to hell. That means uh, everything for our, you know, evil outcome. He, he doesn't want anything good to happen to us, and so, um, at least eternally good. And so he will often try to lie to us to try to trick us into thinking, um, believing basically lies or disbelieving God. And so he will say things like, "Well, if you take God too seriously, you're just becoming an enthusiast. You're becoming what's known as uh, just kind of a fanatic. You're becoming a weirdo." <laughs> He'll kind of mess up the the vision of what a true Christian is in your head to make it seem like a bad thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis talks about how he might try to trick you into thinking this is just enthusiasm. It's just emotionalism or um, kind of making up stuff. And in reality, it's actually just taking God seriously. Mm-hmm. So it's often a lie that Satan will. I can think of it like in my in my own experience, if I think about, okay, if I'm really like worshiping right now and I'm only thinking about worshiping God, then I should probably act like it. And maybe my body should reflect that by like raising my hands or crying or going on my knees, something like that. But if I did that, then people would think of me weird. They might look at me and go, oh, that guy's just being free. Like he's being he's eccentric. He's yeah, he's an enthusiast. And so I often believe that lie of I actually live with an audience of many, not just an audience of one. And so that's often something I have to check myself on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and this lifeline we have, like a lot of the times we, we want to keep it. Um, and we, we believe those lies because <clears throat> I mean, since God is a serious thing, it's also scary, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're scared to swim without a lifeline. Uh, mm-hmm. But C.S. Lewis says the best way to stay safe in a sea is not through lifeline, but through swimming lessons. As in, mm-hmm. should we stay connected to these temporal things that we got? Or should we learn how to handle these eternal things? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which we could we could take as just something like the spiritual disciplines, right? We right. should learn how to do these things so we can swim, so we don't have to have some sort of handicap. Yeah, and you thought, I like that you brought up the idea of fear. I think of all the 
different times where people are called in the Bible to some great task are called out onto mission somewhere. So Abraham, the call of Abraham is kind of a fearful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's uncertain. There is lots of risk involved. There's lots of fear involved. Or think of Moses. That's a great example of him Jonah. going up against. Yeah, Jonah. He's going, you know, Moses is going up against the mightiest nation on the planet as just some bumbling guy. Um, think about David. Think about Jesus saying just ominously to the disciples, follow me without anything else. You know, there's always with God, this, this uh, faith is not opposed to reason. But faith also requires you to kind of step out on the edge a little bit. It's not mm -hmm. a blind leap of faith type of idea, but it is a there is a sense of uncertainty and faith and doubt kind of go together a little bit. There's they're sort of partners. There's always a sense of doubt when you're kind of stepping yeah. out, and that's interesting. Yeah, and we we got to remember that fear of God is an actual thing and a good thing. Right. We should fear God, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, but that's uh that's a big point in this in this talk. But we can uh <clears throat> we can keep going on. So when it when we're talking about this uh this lifeline, there's there's another aspect of it, and it's actually from God's point of view. Um so we're obviously fearful. We sometimes want to stay connected to the temporal things and not go to the eternal things, but the other thing is that <clears throat> God there's only one option, God only gives one option. And he can only give one option. So there is no bargaining with God. He can only give himself. He can't give anything other than himself. So he's uh, when, it, when he calls someone, he, there, there's, there's only one thing to do if you accept God, and that's, yeah. to, give, that's to give your whole self. Uh, C.S. Lewis in this says that we, like he doesn't ask for time and attention, but he requires people. Right. Mm -hmm. He requires the, the whole being of a person. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. What do you right. think about that? Yeah. He, it's kind of asking us, what does God really demand of us? Uh, and does he demand our time? Does he demand our efforts and our attention? Yes. Mm -hmm. He demands those things. But most centrally, there are tons of people who are Christian who, uh, like in the sense of, they go to church and stuff and mm. they give their time to God in a sense. Um, but they aren't actually real believers. They don't give mm. themselves to God. There isn't actually a, a self-giving love there. Uh, they haven't actually been born of God and God requires that of us. I think of the, uh, in revelation, how Jesus talks about lukewarm Christians, uh, those who are not hot or cold but simply are bland. They have, have no temperature. They're apathetic. They are lukewarm. And Jesus says he'll spit them out. And those are strong language to describe basically a nominal Christian uh, who isn't actually giving them their entire self to God. Just scary yeah. thought because it's very easy for us to, especially in America, especially in our current day, it's extremely easy to coast in your Christian life and to not give yourself to be comfortable. Um, so we have to keep on watch. Yeah. And sometimes we, uh, like, obviously we, if we were given the choice of all of God or nothing, mm -hmm. a lot of people would be, again, scared about that, or they would try and bargain, right? They would try and bargain. Um, but mm -hmm. the important thing is that there's no bargaining. So when it comes to time and attention, what a lot of people might actually do, um, is mm -hmm. 
the, the reason they give time and attention is because if God calls all of them or their whole being, they might use that as a bargaining chip. Like, hey, what if I just give you like a good chunk of my time? Or what if I get, what if I focus on you for uh, like with, with all my heart for just these times and these days, but all the other days, you kind of just leave me alone. Isn't that enough? Um, no, it's, it's not, it's not enough. And so that, that does lead to where you're talking about the nominal Christians and stuff. They, right. They check it off the list and then coast, right. Coasting Christians. Right. right. And we shouldn't think about this as a God sitting up there mad, like, oh, you didn't do enough for me. Mm-hmm. As if he needs something as, as if he needs stuff from us or service from us. It's saying he wants you. He wants your actual person. He wants your soul. He wants your whole heart. So it's not a God's not getting enough from you. So he's dissatisfied. It's a he's a mm-hmm. good father that wants full communion, full relationship with his creatures uh, because he's good. He's love. And that's an amazing thing for us. And we should mm-hmm. jump into that, not simply dip our toes into it. Yeah. So and, he also talks, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, and when he uh, when he's talking about this, <clears throat> he basically says that, okay, let's say someone is given this choice, but they don't choose God. At that point, it doesn't matter what else you choose, right? Yeah. So when it, when it comes to the options you can choose, the only one that matters is if you choose God or if you don't choose God. It doesn't matter if you choose like money over God. Or if you, uh, or if you choose um, family over God, or if you choose uh, your your hobbies over God, it, none of that matters. the The important thing is that you didn't choose God, right? Right? Right. He he says, "Doesn't matter to a man dying in a desert by which choice of route he missed the only well." So he's saying God's the only thing that satisfies us. That's the only thing that will satisfy. So if somebody doesn't choose that. Does it really matter which which route he chose to not get there? Doesn't matter. All of them failed to get him to a place of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. They're all dead. Yeah, if 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 there is an end to human beings, if there is a goal to life or a purpose of life, it actually does matter the route you choose, especially when it comes to the offer of the correct route. So if you turn that down, yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. But if life didn't have a purpose or an end. At that point, um, <clears throat> yeah, it yeah. it wouldn't matter what route you chose, no matter what. Like, there isn't yeah. even a right route. Uh, it would just, anyone could trick themselves into thinking that it is the right route, but yeah, it's going to be the, the same result. Right, so then he kind of, kind of wraps it up by talking about how uh, this is, this inherent desire we have to hold on to the, the temporal things, to to dip our toes in, but that's it. Even though we know that God's our true good, we still have this attachment to our earthly things. Um, He calls this fatal reservation that we have, this unholy hesitation to not jump into the things of God. He kind of, he says, I don't actually despair about this. I'm not in despair because I know, I I don't think any of my own efforts are going to fix this problem. I'm not going to be able to fix this problem myself, but God will. God can and he will do this mm-hmm. in me. I have good faith and hope that he will change me. Um, I think about 1 John 3 talks about how when we see him, we shall be like him. Uh, that is an amazing hope. One day we'll be completely separated from you know finite temporal things that don't satisfy. 
And so he basically says, I just trust God that he will change me in this. And this reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, this idea. We don't usually hear, we, we often hear justification by faith alone. That's a kind of a tenet of the Reformation. We hear that a lot. Oftentimes, though, we think about our sanctification differently. I've heard John Wesley say that we're sanctified by faith alone as well. So this is kind of what he's describing is that this, my walk, my continual walk with God is continually progressing by faith alone, simply faith that God will work in me. So we're kind of just as we're justified by faith alone, we're sanctified by faith alone. Um, Yeah. That's what I thought of. And yeah. And when it, when it comes to being sanctified or doing more than just dipping our toes into the sea, uh, Mm -hmm. we can't get rid of this lifeline to the temporal things on our own, at least. Mm -hmm. Right. God does actually have to work. And I think that's a big, big message to, the the current generation actually because a lot of people think that they can do it of their own efforts um yeah we've mentioned this in a previous video but it's like a modern pelagianism right mm-hmm. we can we can do it by ourselves we're, we're we're good on our own right so if i decide to cut the temporal lifeline and actually go all the way in mm-hmm. and immerse myself in god then i have the ability to do that um and God doesn't yeah. actually need to reach out first, but that right. is strictly against orthodoxy. Right. And then he says, uh, you might get this idea of, okay, if it's, if it's something God does, then I just do, don't do anything. And he says, I don't mean, as they say, sit back. He says, what God does for us, he does in us. So as God's working, he says, the process of that will seem to me like the daily or hourly repeated exercise of my own will, renouncing my evil attitudes. Mm. He says, especially every morning, for it grows all over me like a new shell each night. That sort of worldly attitude. I've heard other people say, um, every morning I have to wake up and relearn how to be a Christian all over again every single morning. That's mm. kind of what Lewis, Lewis is describing. So that importance, like you mentioned earlier, of the spiritual disciplines of mm-hmm. we have those disciplines put in place. So we continually forsake those earthly attitudes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. And if, if it's our goal to actually immerse ourselves in God, that's an everyday thing. We have to, we actually have to have these spiritual disciplines. We have to pray. We have to read the Bible. We have to, um, we have to, we have to fast. We have to have silence and solitude. We have to have all of them. There's a whole list of them, but that's how we immerse ourselves in God. And we should be doing that every day. And why not just start it in the morning? Right. Um, so if you really want to, if you really want the temporal lifeline cut, maybe start with that. That's a great application right there. Right. And then he makes this prayer at the end from, I think this is from the imitation of Christ, which is by a guy. I can't remember Jeremy. No. Uh, what's his name? I can't remember. There's a famous book called The The Imitation of Christ that's like a famous spiritual classic. It's Mm -hmm. not Jeremy Taylor. It's another guy. Thomas Kempis. Thomas Kempis, yeah. yeah, There we go. Yeah. So he has this phrase where he says, grant me to make an unflawed beginning today, for I have done nothing yet. So he says, that's my prayer every morning. And that's a great prayer. that should be ours. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's all we got for a slip of the tongue. Yeah. So, um, 
If you like the video, we ask that you like and subscribe. If you feel led to support us, there are links below and on our in our page to support us through Patreon or buying merch. So please do so. Uh, other than that, God bless. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you.